0: This one particular day, we were bicycling from Athens. Uh, I'm sorry, from yeah, Athens, Corinth, we, Athens to Corinth, and then Corinth to the Peloponnese. Now, if you don't know where the Peloponnese is, here's a here's a picture just so you're aware of the the, the whole overview of, of the of the world. Those of you that are, are Greek will probably already know this, but uh, uh, Greece is um, is located there at the bottom of that peninsula, and then Pel- the Peloponnese is across that tiny strip of land where the the town of Corinth is. We had gone through, and we were just entering into the Peloponnese. We were very excited about bicycling all the way across this small strip of land. We had had a wonderful experience. We had had amazing uh, um, memories, created some amazing memories. And we had gone to this one particular town right on the ocean, and we, we were staying there anticipating our trip across this small parcel of land. As we stayed there, we dreamed about what it would be like the next day, how amazing this was going to be. We woke up the next morning anticipating an amazing adventure, and we started out early heading for those mountains there in the, few, in the, in the distance. As we went through, there was a couple of vineyards we passed on the way. It was a beautiful, sunny, warm day. We got some bread, you know, those big, long things of bread, you know, and, we, and they're, they're hard as rock in Europe, but they're wonderful. And, uh, and we had some cheese, and we had some Coca-Cola, and we were 17, so uh, we, we, we weren't drinking the wine. And, and so we, we ended up actually having lunch in a beautiful vineyard. As we were traveling along and the sun was shining and, and we were talking about how great the day was going to be and what we were anticipating. And we saw the mountains in the distance, but it was no big deal because we were thinking, you know, we got, you know, we got months to, to get across here. We were on no real timeline. But as we got back on our bicycles after we had lunch and started bicycling toward these mountains, we got to the very first one and we realized... Objects seem a lot smaller when you're far away than when you're close up. And as we got closer to these mountains, we realized how tall these mountains actually were. We started up the mountains, and we, we've got uh, bags on our bicycles. We've got everything that we own. Basically, for, for a half a year, we're carrying around with us. And so we, we're, we're, we're weighted heavy on these bicycles, and we start up this, this uh, f- these, these mountains. And... We start up a snake path. Do you know what a snake path is? You probably, if you've been involved with mountains, you know it's, it's the only way to get up a mountain. So you've got to go back and forth and back and forth and back to get up because you can't go straight up, it's way too steep. And so we started going back, and we started going forth, and we went back, and we went back and forth, and back and forth. And then we looked down, and we realized, like, the bottom, the the first part of this journey is like we could have jumped off and landed down on that. We weren't that far up, and we started feeling very hot. We started feeling very discouraged. We started feeling like maybe this wasn't a good idea after all. Started started getting kind of kind of down on ourselves. That was that was about a quarter of the way into the day. Half the way into the day, we looked down, we realized we haven't gone far at all. Half the day into the way, now we become blood enemies. Like everything my brother did ticked me off, and everything he did ticked me off, and we were sweating. And he had cut himself on his way up when his his foot came out of his stirrup, and he cut himself on the cog of his of his, uh, he was crying like a baby, like he's just bleeding. I mean, it wasn't, so he was mad at me, and I was mad at him, and it was hot, and it was, and then we would go back, and we would go back and forth, and back and forth, and we finally got three quarters of the way up, and by that point, I had lost my salvation altogether. It was a bad day, and uh, we were not talking to one another. We were not talking to God. We were not talking at all. We were just like, get us through this terrible terrible... We started doubting whether this was a good idea at all. We started thinking as soon as I get to the nearest airport, I'm flying home. We forgot everything about the day before, the beautiful water where we had dinner out on the water in this beautiful town. We forgot all that. We forgot about the vineyard and the, and the wonderful time we had this, that morning. All we could think about is the, is the pain that we were experiencing and how we wanted to throw in the towel. And we couldn't do it because we weren't even to the top yet. And the were just the foothills when we got to the top we looked at this and we thought to ourselves we're going to get a bus which we did all the way across the rest of the way these mountains we just didn't do our research we wanted olympia is there the land of the spartans that's where the spartans come from and and us pansies we couldn't even get up the first foothill of, of these mountains you know you've seen the spartans right ah, yeah. that wasn't us No longer were we uh, excited about the journey. We started thinking maybe the whole thing was a big mistake. And sometimes when life hits us, and sometimes when the winds of our lives shift and become a little stronger than we had planned, sometimes for us, the journey to life that brings us such joy and excitement, like on days like this, sometimes can change in a heartbeat. And sometimes we can start doubting whether or not we want to go the distance. And sometimes we even see the mountains in the distance and we're even excited about new challenges in our lives. But when we get up to those mountains, we get a little closer to the challenges, we start thinking maybe we made a big mistake. And the attitude of I'm going to conquer this mountain might turn into I'm not sure if I can make it over this mountain at all. From anticipating great challenges to the disappointment sometimes when we bike up to the foot of the mountain because it seems a little bigger than we thought. And sometimes, sometimes, some folks are even tempted to abandon the journey altogether. This can also happen in faith, with our faith. It can also happen in the way that we live our lives for the Lord. And the message today is called, Do You Have a Kind of Faith That Anticipates a Better Future? So if you have your Bibles, would you turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 10? Chapter The first thing I want to encourage you uh, from uh, Hebrews chapter 10 is to look back. Don't forget your call. In the book of Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews is talking to Jewish believers. These are folks that had grown up in the Jewish system. They had held all the feasts and all the festivals. They had done everything that was required of them. They knew the law. They knew the Torah. They knew it better than I know it. They knew it backwards and forwards and they had abandoned that way of thinking and they had turned to Jesus Christ. They had believed that he is a fulfillment of the law, that he is everything that they need and they abandoned their Jewish ways and they turned to Christian ways. The writer of Hebrews writes to them in their suffering and tries to encourage them with these words in Hebrews 10 verse 32. But recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with suffering. Even though they knew the Bible, they had, been, they had been pounded by life so much that the reality of Jesus Christ, when they first came to know him, began to be a distant memory. It's interesting to me that the first word is recall, remember. Remember what it was like the former days after you were enlightened. You were enlightened as a moment of time when you have an aha moment. For these Jewish people that always followed legal ways and law and and followed the sacrifices and all that, these Jewish people were enlightened by coming to Jesus Christ. He had, in a way, he had torn the scales from their eyes, and they began to see for the very first time that Jesus was their way to the Father. They began to see and understand a different way of getting to God than they had known before. Now, almost every one of you has a phone with a camera in it, right? So do I, and I don't have mine with me. But one of the things that uh, that I have learned about my camera or my phone and the camera on my phone is that if it gets in the wrong hands, that lens on my camera can sometimes get a little blurry. When I'm taking a picture and I'm looking through my camera, sometimes I'll think, yeah, this doesn't look as bright as it should for the money that I paid for this phone, right? And then I'll turn it over and realize, oh, there's a lot of peanut butter on the lens of my phone. I wonder how that got there. And I could guess maybe there's four people that might, or maybe just one, that might have got uh, peanut butter on my phone. So, so I wipe it off on my pants, and then i look at it, and then I turn it around, and I could take a picture, and all of a sudden it's clear. Uh, The peanut butter is removed, and I can all of a sudden see clearly. For these Jewish people, this is what had happened to them. They had followed a system of belief their entire lives. It had clouded their ability to see who Jesus was. God reached down into their hearts and cleaned off their lens, and they suddenly are able to see and accept who Jesus Christ was. All of a sudden, they understood that Jesus came once for all. He came once to give a sacrifice for the sins of all mankind. He came in the form of God. He came as God incarnate, lived a perfect life and died a sinless death, and shed sinless blood so that their sins could be forgiven. They'd never heard this before. All they had done is the Old Testament sacrificial laws. They had brought lambs and birds and, and all kinds of different sacrifices to be sacrificed so that their sins would be forgiven. But all of those were simply shadows of the final sacrifice to come. When Jesus Christ came, the book of Hebrews is full of this language because it's written to the Jewish people, Jewish people who came to Christ. It is written to clean off the lens of their hearts, to clean off the lens of their minds, so that they could see that Jesus was a fulfillment of every single law. And they needed to come to God through Jesus Christ. Jesus died on the cross, shed his blood for for their sins, and they finally understood it. And then three days later, he rose from the dead victorious over sin to prove that sin had been defeated and death had been defeated once and for all. And the truth of the matter, all who come to Jesus Christ and ask him for forgiveness have that same sacrificial blood applied to their lives and their sins are forgiven as well. This is the message of the gospel. It's called the new covenant. And in the New Testament, we're constantly celebrating this new covenant. Not the old covenant, where the pre, you had to go to the priest and you had to go get your sacrifice and you had to do all of those things, the, the, the purification rituals and all of those things. You had to do, no longer did you do that. Now we celebrate a new covenant, which is in the blood of Jesus Christ. Every time we celebrate communion, this is what we celebrate. We take the juice and we take the bread, and it's a symbol of the blood that was shed for us and the body that was given for us. And because of this sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, we are entering a new covenant where his sacrifice covers our sins. The sins of us now and the sins of those in the future and all the sins of those in the past. There's no more priests, no more temple, no more Mosaic law, no more feasts, no more festivals. Paul the apostle had an amazing moment with Jesus Christ where he's actually on the road to a city and Jesus shows up and blinds him because of the light. And then he ends up going to a house and waits there. And then one of the local pastors comes by and, and uh, it says it was like uh, when he was talking to this local pastor, it says the scales fell from his eyes. This is what it's like for those who come to know the Lord. And if you're here and you know Christ as your Savior, you remember that moment when the the lens was cleaned off and Jesus Christ appeared clearly to you for who he was. The decision to follow Jesus Christ for these Jewish believers presented challenges to their faith. And I want to tell you that Jesus is very clear to us, too, that if you give your life to Jesus Christ, there will be challenges to your faith as well. Jesus never says, come and try me out. It might be good for you. It might work for you. Give it a shot. See how it goes. Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. Anyone who loves their own life cannot follow me, but you must deny yourself in order to follow Jesus Christ. It is a complete sacrificial language that Jesus uses because he wants us to understand that when we come to Jesus Christ, suffering may happen. Life may still be hard. Mountains may be very, very large, but the difference is that Jesus Christ has you in the palm of his hand and you are right where you need to be. And God will never leave you, and he will never forsake you. The difference is that Jesus walks the path with us. In John 15 and verse 20, Jesus says it this way, Remember the word that I said to you, A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they would also keep yours. For these Jewish believers, they immediately suffered their uh, as soon as they, they were enlightened in their lives they immediately went through suffering unfortunately for them a lot of it came down to people that didn't understand their decision to give their lives to Jesus the way that they suffered was not a lot of times the way that we suffer in our own lives or that we're persecuted in our own lives they were suffering maybe a little bit more than we're used to. They were ridiculed for abandoning Judaism. Their property was confiscated. They lost their jobs. Their family and friends abandoned them. They didn't understand why they would turn their back on the only thing that would get them into heaven. And they kept saying, no, you don't understand. Jesus is the way to the Father. And they said, no, you're abandoning what you grew up knowing. Have you ever wondered, have you ever noticed how when people come to know the Lord or come to faith in Jesus Christ, one of the first ways that they are attacked is in their relationships with others around them? how the people that they grew up with don't understand what they've done. They don't appreciate they don't. Their scales may not have fallen off their eyes. Their lens is still caked with peanut butter. They don't, they don't get it like, like, like you do, and you try and explain it to them, and they think that you're cuckoo bananas. They don't understand what you're even talking about. And a lot of times, that kind of language is so offensive that they will sometimes even turn their backs. For these Jewish people, this is the first way that they were hit. In verse 33, the writer says, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction and sometimes being partners with those who are so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison. You joyfully accepted the plundering of your property. How would you, joy, how would you accept the plundering of your property? You give your life to Jesus and then the, the ruling class of the day comes and they say, you gave your life to Jesus, we're taking your property. Would you joyfully accept that? These, these Jewish believers were going through incredible things, but they were going through it with outstanding joy. They said, give me the mountain, I'll take it. There are people, brothers and sisters in our world today that go through the same thing. Sometimes we do face persecution in our own relationships and in our own circles, but you should know that around the world, it's a lot worse. Today, people suffer approach and affliction, reproach and affliction, immediately when they come to Jesus. For some Muslims, they are cast out of their families if they're found with the Bible. In North Korea, if you're found with a verse of Scripture on you, they will take you and put you into a concentration camp and you will not be heard from again. Many of the refugees that you're seeing on TV are Christians fleeing their own nations and families who are trying to not only... Disown them, but publicly execute them for their faith in Jesus Christ. Did you know that in 2017, 322 Christians are killed for their faith every month? Did you know in 2017 214 Christian, uh, that 214 Christians pro- that own properties or go to churches, those properties or, and those churches are destroyed? 214 properties. Did you know that 722 forms of violent acts are being performed against Christians today? Beatings, kidnappings, rape, arrests, forced marriages, and this is not per year, this is every single month. We don't hear a lot about it, but you can find out about it. It's, you Google persecution against Christians. There are more martyrs for Christianity today than there have been in the entire entire, uh, realm of human existence put together. In the last century, more Christians have been killed for their faith than all of human history rolled up together. Why don't these brothers and sisters lose heart? Why don't they abandon their faith? For the same reason that these Hebrews are spoken to in Hebrews chapter 10, because they recalled what it meant to come to Christ at the very beginning they remembered what a blessing it was in their lives to have those scales removed and to understand who Jesus was and how he loved them they got to live out a life uh, live a life out of love for Jesus before a dark and hopeless world they remembered the promise of Jesus Christ that if they lose their possessions here they'll gain greater possessions in heaven they got to understand a rightly ordered life do you know what a rightly ordered life is It's peace. It's contentment. And do you know what makes up a rightly ordered life? Jesus plus anything else equals nothing. But Jesus plus nothing else equals everything. They found a God who loved them right where they were. They knew that God loved them even while they were still sinning. Christ died for them. And they were called by this author of Hebrews to remember why they started the journey in the first place. The mountains, I can't imagine what these mountains were like for these new believers. But if they were called called to Jesus for a purpose, they remembered that they should not lose heart. They remembered Romans 8.18 that says this, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed in us. In a world where there's not too many sure things, the writer of Hebrews implores these guys and gals going through this persecution. In a world where there's not too many sure things, don't throw away your one sure thing. If you're rejected by men, you'll be accepted by God. And suffering only exposes the reality of your faith. And then he goes on to tell them look forward. Look back, don't forget your calling, but look forward and remember God's promise. In verse 34, he says, Since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. What is a better possession? What is he talking about when he says, You knew that you have a better possession and an abiding one. Well, you're probably prompted to think about heaven, but the writer implores us to start looking at some of the folks in Hebrews chapter 11. All of these men and women who lived by faith, and how they constantly looked forward to something better. In verse eight of Hebrews chapter 11, we're brought into the story of Abraham. The writer says, by faith Abraham obeyed God when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. Now the phrase that gets me out of this whole thing about Abraham is he went out not knowing where he was going you realize that Abraham was rich? He grew up in a rich family. He had lots of servants. He had a, he had a legacy. He had a life. His dad was well off. He, 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 was a, he had it pretty good. And all of a sudden, God shows up with him. We're not told exactly how it happens, but God tells him, I want you to go out to a land that I will show you. He doesn't know the land. He's never heard of Israel before. He has no idea where he's going. He doesn't know as soon as he opens the door, he doesn't know what direction to start walking. And yet he drops everything that he's doing and he starts walking. Now, if you think about it, if somebody did that, that you were related to, how would you react? Well, God's called me to do something. Oh, okay, what's he called you to do? Not sure, but I'm going to start walking in this direction over here. I think you should have a better plan than that, wouldn't you say? Abraham just starts walking because God says, go to a land that I will show you. I'm not going to show you now. Go to a land that I will show you. And if you read the story of Abraham, Abraham had no idea where he was going. He had no idea where the land was until his feet actually landed on that land. He just wandered around. And when he got to the land, God said, okay, this is it. This is the land I'm going to give you. I'm going to give your children. I'm going to give their children. This is a land that's going to be yours for all generations. And that's why Israel is full of Jewish people today. It's because Abraham went, not knowing where he was going, but going to this land that God promised him. He looked forward to a better future, and that was his long game. In nine uh, Hebrews 11, verse 9, it says, By faith he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. Not to a house, but living in tents, because for he was looking... What's the next word? Because he was looking forward. He was always looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Now that kind of compels me to dig a little deeper, because he was going to a place where he didn't know, but he knew it was a concrete place, right? He knew it was a land. As soon as he got there, God said, okay, this is a place. But God, I guess, had designed and built that land, but he had even a further Mindset than that. He was looking forward to what God would make out of this land for his children and his grandchildren and his great, 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 great grandchildren. He was looking forward to what God would make of this land that he had promised to him, and he was even looking beyond that. A city whose foundation and builder is God. You know what I think of when I read that phrase? I think of the land that God has promised us. God does not promise us America, right? He doesn't promise us Canada. America and Canada could fall tomorrow. He doesn't promise us that, but he does promise us a land. And he is the architect and builder of that land. How do I know that? Because in John chapter 14, Jesus said to his disciples, I go to what? Prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare the place for you, I will come again and receive you under myself, that where I am, there you may be also. God is the architect and builder of the land for Abraham, the concrete land that he was going to. But he had a further vision than that. A land someday where God would be the ultimate king, and we wouldn't worry about all these politicians anymore. God would be the ultimate king. Sin would be eradicated. Righteousness would rule. There would Even if you wanted to sin, you couldn't. Because God wouldn't allow it. Every sin will be erased and everything will be made to be as it was meant to be from the very beginning. And that is a land that is promised to you. That's a land that's promised to me. And if you don't make it to that land, if Jesus doesn't come back and, and, and rescue and take you to that land, if you die before that happens, you still get that land. You're still promised that land. Because Jesus said not even death can eradicate the hold that he has on our heart. We are sealed until the day of redemption. No one can snatch you from the hand of Jesus Christ. That's a promise that God gives to us. That's a pretty big promise, don't you think? We, like these Jewish believers, are meant to have a faith that looks forward. Not so that we can endure life here and just get through it, but with the belief that whatever God has for us here, we are investing into what he has for us in the future. The way we live here makes investments for what we do there. We play the long game. And that's why we've established this church. That's why we're doing this set up and tear down all of this incredible work so that we can fill this room with people who need to constantly hear about the love of Jesus Christ and have a moment to praise him every single Sunday morning. We're playing the long game. We are seeing if God can use our gifts to grow the kingdom. And he can do that, and he wants to do that through us. Our lives are lived knowing that Jesus has taken care of our destiny, and suffering will try and pull us back. But faith keeps us moving forward. These Jewish believers may not have had all the answers to why they were, where they were going or why they were suffering to get there, but they simply knew their confidence was in Jesus and his promises to them. And so is ours. And the last thing that the writer says to them is, look up. Live a courageous faith. In verse 35, he writes, "...therefore do not throw away your confidence, which has great reward." I love this idea of do not throw away your confidence. Now, if if I had this iPad and I were to drop it on the ground here, you would gasp, right? You would say, oh, no, Craig, we feel so bad for you that you dropped your iPad on the floor and it's all broken and they obviously don't pay you enough to buy another one, so you're going to have to use paper now. And, you know, you'd feel bad for me for a while, right? But if I were to take this iPad and I were to throw it against the wall, you'd think a little something different, wouldn't you? You'd think, Craig's insane. He is, he's obviously made of money, or he doesn't appreciate the value of things, or he's, a, he's, he's insane. Something's wrong with this guy that he's throwing iPads around, right? There's a difference between dropping and throwing away. If you drop something, it's a mistake. Everybody feels bad for you. But if you throw it away, you make a decision to abandon something of value. For these believers, the writer says, don't throw away your what? What's the next word? Don't throw away your confidence. Think about that. Don't throw, don't, not drop, don't throw it away. Don't make a decision to give up your confidence. Don't make a decision to be pulled back to the law, thinking that that's going to give you the way to play the long game. And for us, it's not a pull back to the law, but it, for us, it's a pull away from the confidence that we have in Jesus Christ. I need to make this very clear to you. True Christians cannot abandon the very person that gave them life. Amen. Can't happen. We can lose heart. We can get discouraged. We can go up a snake path on a mountain that, you know, this is the mountain that never ends. You know, you, you, we can definitely get discouraged. But we cannot abandon our faith in the one who gave us life. We can't ditch Christ permanently. It's not possible. In fact, the Bible talks about people because you probably know of people that seem to have thrown away their faith. The Bible talks about these people in 1 John 2 and verse 19. And it tells us that they went out from us, these believers, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out that it might be plain to all that they are not of us. In other words, the way that we persevere in our faith demonstrates the reality of our faith. Persevering in your faith is the evidence that faith is the gasoline that keeps you going. There's been men in my life that have been very special to me. Men that I've had incredible theological conversations with. Men that I've gone to seminary with people that have shared with me some intimate things that I would never share with anybody else. And I'm sad to say that now that I'm 47 years old, half of them have fallen away from God. It's a shocking reality to my life almost every time I dwell on this subject that these people who I thought were deep, solid people of faith could change and abandon what they claimed to live. For one reason or another, they bicycled up to these mountains, close to the mountain, and they decided it was too difficult, and they threw away what they claimed they believed. Their onslaughts in life exposed the truth that Jesus was not their only hope. They interpreted the Bible to meet their own needs, no longer do they try and look through the Bible as, when you read Scripture, you try and read Scripture, it speaks to you, and you change. No, no, no. They want, they've changed, and then they look to Scripture to back up how they've changed. Totally different way of looking at Scripture. And this has begun to be their, their, their motto in life. They follow Jesus' teachings as long as it benefits them. They no longer live lives that are surrendered to Jesus Christ or surrendered to the teachings of Jesus Christ. Do you want to know how God feels about these folks? And it breaks my heart to keep reading in the book of Hebrews. But nonetheless, the entire Scripture is important, and the entire counsel of God needs to be said. So in Hebrews 10 and verse 37, it says, Yet a little while the coming one will come. I love that. That's Jesus will come. A little while. Coming one will come. And He will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. How would you like God to say that about you? (laughs) If we are living a life of faith and we claim to be these believers that live by faith and let the gasoline of God flow through our lives and give us momentum, and at one point in our lives we get to a mountain that is too tall and we throw away our faith. Throw away our faith in Jesus Christ. God says to us plainly that God has no pleasure in that kind of an attitude. And in 1 John it even says, if that's the game that these folks play, they might not even be men and women of faith. They went out from us, but they were not of us. To throw away is in direct contrast, by the way, with how Christians, through suffering and difficulty, hold on to their faith. Look at this verse in Hebrews 10 and verse 23. Just a few verses earlier, the writer says, Let us, what's the next two words? I love this. Let us hold fast. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. I love it. All we have to do is hold fast. He's going to come through. He who is faithful, he's going to be faithful. All we have to do is hold fast. When you think of the words hold fast, what comes to mind? maybe a football game and you, you got to hold fast or or when you have a brand new baby and it's your first one like by your third or fourth it's like here you want to hold the baby here catch but when you have the first baby you know you're, you're very uh, that's not true but when you have the first one it's kind of true <laughs> but when you have the first one you know how it is. You're just like, so fragile. Don't want to drop her. You have to be very careful with her. You lay her down gently. You read every book. Put her on her side. you got to put her on her side. No, put her on her front. No, depends on who's saying what at the time, and it changes for every gen. No, put her on her back. You've you got to be very... I always say her because I have four daughters. I don't, I don't know what it's like to have boys, so good luck for those of you that have boys. But you've going to be very, very careful, right? You hold fast. You protect. You you, 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 you encapsulate What has been given to you and this is the way we are to grab onto our faith not when it's easy good grief faith is never a reality when it's easy faith is always a reality when you're going up the mountain that's when faith becomes a reality it's easy to believe in Jesus when you're not being persecuted the question is when you are persecuted then do you believe in Jesus do you believe that he who promised is faithful no wavering our confidence is in Jesus Christ. Don't throw away your confidence, because it builds assurance in our faith. Next verse says, For you have need of endurance, so that what you have, when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. Confidence is simply faith in Jesus on display. I'll say that one more time, because it's really good. Confidence is simply faith in Jesus on display. If you're confident in your faith, your faith in Jesus is going to show. And if you're not confident in your faith, it is not going to show. Verse 39. But, contrast, we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed. That's not us. That's not, for those of us that know the Lord, that's not us. We're not those who shrink back and are destroyed, but we are those who have faith and preserve their souls. That's who we are. Those who have faith don't shrink back, they stand out in a crowd. They preserve their souls because their faith is real, it's genuine. They might be discouraged, <laughs> they might get down at times, but when the going gets tough, they don't abandon their faith, they don't throw it away, they hold on to it like. Like nobody's business. They hold on to it like bread pudding. <laughs> I love bread pudding. It's like, like, when you eat bread pudding, you should always have your arm out like this. right? So nobody can touch your food. That should be the way. You, you hold on to it. And for those of us who are men and women of faith, we hold on to our bread pudding. We hold on to our faith because it is the fire that lights our That lights are every day. It is what gives us purpose. It's what gives us hope. And we hear the lies that the world tells us and in the lens of Scripture and in the lens of our faith, we analyze everything and we always come out the other end and we say, the world may be burning. The world may fall apart, but God is in control and my faith will take me through. We play the long game with our faith. I want you to know that Jesus alone promises to get you through life. Jesus alone promises to get you through this life. And Jesus alone promises to get you into the life to come. He will do it all for you. You must hold on to faith. So do you have a mountain facing you down? Are you at the foot of it and you're looking up and you're thinking, oh, this is bigger than I thought it was going to be. Don't bicycle up to it and go back to your old ways. Don't abandon Jesus Christ. Only Jesus will get you to the top of this thing. He promises that he will. And for those of you that know Christ, you know you've had some big mountains, right? And he takes you up to everyone. But when you get to the next mountain, what do you think? Oh, this one's really big, right? But you know Jesus has been faithful in the past and you know he will be again. Endure hardship as a soldier of God. Jesus said in Luke 9, 62, Jesus says, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Go the distance, reap the rewards, and you'll find blessings that you never knew were possible. Do you know what my brother and I found at the top of that mountain? Yes, we did get to the top, by the way. I'm not still there. Uh, We did get to the top, finally. Uh, we were both like in foul moods. We were just, I, I was not a nice person. My brother was worse, so just so you know. But we got to the top. And do you know what was at the very top of this foothill? We looked at this mountain. You know what was at the very top? It was like, oh, a restaurant. <laughs> <laughs> and we went into that restaurant and we had no money. I told this story to several people before. We had no money. We had used all of our money up. And we went into that restaurant, and because of my brother, he was terrible at keeping money, and he was in charge of the money, but we are, <laughs> everything's his fault. You get, you get a, there's a pattern here. Uh, we go into the restaurant, and we sit down, and I said, Chris, I'm going to the bathroom, because just, just, we're mad at each other. I'm going to the bathroom. I go to the bathroom. We don't know what we're going to do. We're just going like, to eat those free crackers they have on the, on, the, uh, on, the, on the table, yeah, and drink water. That's all we're going to do. I come out of the bathroom, I sit down, and in the middle of the table is this big heaping plate of spaghetti filled with sauce and big meatballs, like, on top. Now, to all you Italians, you're probably thinking, that's, that's, that's heaven right there, right? <laughs> well, on that day, that was heaven for us. I came back and said, Chris, how in the world did you buy, did you rip this off? Do we got to do dishes? How did we get this? We don't have any money. How did we get this, how did we get this food? And Chris said, I don't know, the guy over there in the corner, uh, he came up to me, he was asking about us. He's seen the bike outside, the bikes outside, and he asked us what we were doing. I told him we were biking across the Pelop- Peloponnese. He felt sorry for us, because he knew what th- we didn't. He knew there was like 2,000-foot mountains that were going to up and down and up and down. So he bought us a plate of spaghetti. I said, what guy? He turns around, and the guy was gone. Oh, geez. I'm thinking he was an angel <laughs> that was meant to poke us in the eye and say, you miserable sods, complained all day, and I'm still going to give you grace. I ate that plate of spaghetti faster than I've ever eaten anything in my life, and it tasted fantastic. I just have to say, fantastic. Reminder to me that God has my life all planned out. It's just spaghetti. It's just a mountain. But I want to tell you, in a very real way, when you get up to those mountains in life, and you're tempted to abandon your faith, or question why God is doing this, or question God. (laughs) Recall what you've been through. Remember your calling. You're here for a purpose. Look forward. Play the long game. God has something great in store for you in this life and in the life to come. Be patient and start walking in one direction, in faith. And keep your eyes on Jesus. Because through the whole process... He'll bring you rewards and gifts, blessings you never expected along the way. And you'll look back and you'll say, yep, that was right at the right time. And God is good. Let's pray. So Father, I know that faith is meant to show up when the going gets rough. And it doesn't escape me that there might be some here, there probably are this morning that are going through some pretty rough patches in life. They've maybe been through a really rough patch. Some things probably that I couldn't even identify with. Maybe even some things right now. Maybe there's people contemplating abandoning their faith, even in this room. My prayer, Father, is that through this simple look at your word, that your Holy Spirit would take the power of Scripture and the power of the truth encapsulated in it, Apply it to their lives and help them understand that you are a God that will never forsake them, never abandon them. You stick closer than a brother, that you give them life and life more abundant, that you promise them hope in heaven and a life here that will matter, that you give them the the supernatural ability to go through even tough times with a peace that passes understanding through the power of the Holy Spirit. That you promise us all of these things. And then once this life is over, you promise us an incredible life to come that Paul said is too precious, too magnificent, that he can't, he can't even explain what it's going to be like. And so I thank you for all of these promises, the realities of those who live by faith. And I pray, Father, that your spirit would lay heavily, gently, but powerfully on the hearts of those who have heard this message this morning. And you would help this room, those who hear this message, to rise up as men and women who live by faith and not by sight. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.